Welcome to the Divine Self Secret Garden Podcast. On today's episode, Dana Rex, and I am your host, Megan Corcoran. Welcome, Divine Souls, to the Secret Garden Podcast. I don't know about all of you, but I was super excited. Yesterday was the spring equinox, the first day of spring, and uh, I can definitely tell that spring is in the air. I love spring. The birds are chirping. Flowers are blooming. I saw butterflies on my walk this morning, and it's just uh, a nice energy flowing here on the universe, which is much needed right now during the pandemic. Um, And today is the 21st, and the 21st represents kind of letting go and of of resistance and resentment. And so many of us in narcissistically abusive relationships or that have narcissists in our life um, really struggle with letting go of what we thought we knew and rebirthing into something greater than ourselves. I know I say this all the time, and you can go back to my episode 13 on season one with Rebecca Detman about the narcissist is our soulmate, and they come in to shine a light on the shadow side within you. You can also listen to episode one with Jane Donovan about the shadow side, and to bring out the things in you that you can't see and for you to deal with and so you can kind of rebirth into the beautiful divine self that you truly came here to be. And that is really the goal of the narcissist in our life. And um, I today is the day for you to do a meditation, reflect, and, and start to explore the resistance you have in your body and maybe start to let some of that go or start to acknowledge that it's there and start to um, look at yourself through a different lens. I also have a few people reaching out to me um, about resources for domestic violence. Uh, you can go to my resources tab on the divine-self.com or you can start to come follow me on YouTube at The Divine Self. For those of you that don't know that I have a YouTube channel and this is where this all started, it's at The Divine Self. I have a very lovely guest joining me in the garden today, Dana Rex, all the way from Belgium. And Dana is a musician out in Germany and is doing a campaign about violence against women and domestic violence and reached out to me to be a part of her campaign. And I'm so excited that she did and that um, I'm listened to worldwide that just warms my heart that um, I can help so many people um, you know from the comfort of my own home and I used to you know be a certified crisis intervention counselor in New York City and physically go into the emergency room for domestic and sexual violence victims and so I, uh, I used to get so much out of that and I'm so glad that I'm able to now use technology and social media to um, reach more people across the nation. So thank you for listening. So Dana Rex is from Belgium and was raised in Greece, surrounded by mythologies and stories of gods and goddesses. Dana, 
Dana channels this warrior spirit into her music, exploring the boundaries between tribal rhythms and cinematic pop with an epic edge. Early on, Dana has embraced what it means to truly be independent, not only in life, but in her music career. She oversees all aspects of the creative process from writing her own songs to styling her look and even producing and editing her own music videos. Dana is passionate about encouraging people to unveil their inner warrior by changing the way they perceive themselves. She has made it her mission to uplift and empower fans across the globe uh, through her music, performance, and her community, where people can connect, express their ideas freely, and where society norms are unveiled and let go. She says, inside each of us, there is a powerful force caged by culture, tradition, and outdated teachings that suppress our best qualities and cripple our true creativity. Fight for your right to be yourself, always. You can check out the links below to her domestic violence campaign and to connect with Dana Rex and her music. Welcome to the garden today, Dana. All right. Welcome to the secret garden, Dana Rex. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited that you're here. I know that you reached out to me and you are uh, involved in the domestic violence, narcissistic world. And I, we were chit-chatting and I was like, oh, you have to come on as a guest. I think it's, it's fabulous. What made you um, get involved in this whole narcissistic abuse world to begin with? Well, um, I, I wrote a song a couple of years back um, that is, you know, that has just come out now. And uh, it's about domestic violence. Um, and so, um, you know, I just I wanted it to be a bit more than that. And this all came about uh, because I I listen to podcasts a lot. I really love listening, you know, when I'm in my car, at least my ears are doing something. I'm very efficient. I want to be working all the time. Yep, <laughs> so me too. podcasts about, you know, about mental health and uh, also about music or marketing or, you know, whatever I can get my hands on to expand my knowledge. Uh, that's, that's what I do. And I also have a, a podcast that I do with a friend called Unboxing Women, where we talk about how women are marginalized in the music industry. And we kind of touch on, you know, we, we, we touched on domestic violence as well. And it's more like on the abuse side of it and how, um, you know, that, that kind of stuff can come about. And I started researching it more and little by little, I just realized that I had been in that situation as well. And also I'm, I'm in a new relationship now since a couple of years and it's only been in the last, few I don't know a year or yeah or six months that I've been really opening up to my new partner about things that happened and just realizing you know just having memories in general and realizing oh you know I remember I went to a party and I was with you know my ex and oh and I remember it just you know all um how it all ended in in a big fight and this and that and and I I just started realizing that you know what I had gone through wasn't a normal relationship that it could be yes. so much more mature and and equal like I have with my my current partner um so yeah that that's basically where it all started to to, to come from and I just started realizing all these things and it all came together kind of like the universe was telling me something and it all came together with uh this song um because normally I 
I release my songs on a Wednesday. I call them Warrior Wednesdays. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And, and this time I was like, oh no, I have, you know, there's International Women's Day two days before. So why don't I just change the date and release it on that Monday and, you know, make it something bigger and not just, oh, I'm releasing a song and just create more awareness. And then, yeah, I listened to your podcast and there's an episode where you talk about narcissistic uh, abuse. And I was just blown away because this woman was telling, she was speaking on the podcast. She was telling me my life. She was just saying all these things. I'm like, oh my God, this, this is me. This was me. So it's not normal that you're in a ball crying on the floor. I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that. And I just said, okay, this is it. You know, I need to do this whole campaign. We're going to do, yeah, it's, it's going to be big. It's going to be big. I need people to know about this because I was in this and I didn't even know. Yeah. I think it's so unfortunate that we, we throw the word narcissist around so loosely, right? We say, oh, he's such a narcissist. Mm -hmm. And that is not what we're talking about. We're talking about that once you encounter a narcissist and you're tangled into the web of a narcissist, it is life threatening. And whether that means you're going to commit suicide, you get breast cancer and die because the stress is so bad, autoimmune disease um, happens within, you know, people that are have narcissistic victims syndrome, murder happens and domestic violence. And it's really, really bad. And and for me, I believe that you encounter a narcissist and go through this to have a an awakening, a, a need to raise your vibration and to figure out how to love yourself and to to have a balanced, grounded life with really healthy um, people in your life. You know, me, this was a history and I didn't even know until I was in my relationship and I, I listened to a book by Dr. Christian Northrup about, it's called Dodging Energy Vampires. And I listened to this book and I pulled over to the side of the road and I just started crying and I was like, this is my life. This is what's happening to me because I thought I was going crazy. And I was like, I'm not going crazy. I'm, and then I, I, I started watching YouTube and I felt like Alice in Wonderland. I fell down the hole and I woke up yeah. in this wonderland and there's this world of survivors and we're, we're devastated and broken and sad and alone. And nobody understands this. You can go out and tell people about this. And they're like, what are you talking about? And they think you're crazy. They're like, no, you're, <laughs> you're crazy. And so I kind of went on a mission too. And I actually have a background in this and I don't know if you know this, but I'm a certified crisis intervention counselor in New York state and used to be a first responder for domestic and sexual violence victims. And so I would get called in the middle of the night when a victim would come to the emergency room and I would be their responder and their advocate through their time in the emergency room. And so I've seen over 150 cases of sexual and domestic violence and, and it really opened me up. And then it's shocking that I became my own victim of domestic violence, you know, after that. And I did that for 10 years and, and I saw how much of a problem this was. And it's never talked about in society. Like people go out and it happens everywhere. It happens with your family. It happens in your relationships. It happens with your boss. It yeah. happens with your friends. It happens. Um, you can encounter a narcissist just out at a restaurant or a bar and you get tangled into their web that night and get sexually assaulted. And they confuse you and gaslight you so bad. And it's so confusing for victims. Like I would, I would meet a girl that would be out at a bar and ended up going home with a guy and getting raped. And then she'd be blaming herself the next day. And that was the only encounter they had with them. And I'm like, wow, they did a number on them within a 24 hour time frame, Right. And made them believe that they deserved to be raped. And it's crazy. It's just crazy. 
I, I just recently, yeah. Sorry, I, I just I just recently found out what gaslighting is. I didn't even know what it was. And of, of actually, I was speaking to, I think I was on Twitch, I was streaming on Twitch. And um, one of my fans was explaining, um, you know, something that had happened at work. So a, a boss that was, you know, gaslighting him. And I'm like, what does that mean? So I quickly went to look and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> this, oh my goodness, you know, and I just, I, you know, I started recognizing that as well. And I'm like, oh no. And it's just the universe bringing all this information to me kind of around the same time. So I, yeah, I, I, it's just crazy how this realization that it, and this is not okay. And it happens to so many people who are not even aware of it. Um, you know, when they're, when they're, in this and it, i just wanted to bring the knowledge to the general public that there's there's not just physical violence um and even when there is physical violence um in in a relationship then it has already you know the abuse has started a long time ago it's not like uh you know a, a um a, a guy just all of a sudden out of the blue starts uh you know beating up his wife or something yeah. it the abuse has started a long time ago and it's just escalated to that point now so i you know i i yeah i mean yeah nobody understands i think that um and myself included you know the mental and emotional abuse happened for many many years and then by by the time it gets physical you're completely broken mentally and emotionally oh, yeah. and i will say this like well, no, the physical abuse is pretty bad, but the mental and emotional abuse is just as bad. Um, and it's it's devastating because it's not tangible, right? You can't go out and be like, oh, I'm being abused. And everyone's like, no, they're such a nice guy. Yes. Oh, my and, God. And, right? And it's, it's ah, scary. It it's is. So scary. I, it's just so hurtful and manipulative. And I mean, if you stay in a relationship like that, it's, it's really a very slow death. And... In some, in some ways, I mean, I remember, I remember sometimes like we had massive rows and some, I, I did, I just remembered this recently and I told my new boyfriend about, well, new, I mean, we've been together for, for, for years now. So it's, it's a long time ago, but you just remember things. I'm like, oh my God, I used to actually, um, try and push him to his edge as well, just so he would hit me, just so it would yeah. be easier. Um, just would, you know, that, that would be something that I could say, oh, yes, you hit me, you know, I'm leaving. Uh, so it, it's, um, I heard that also on the podcast that it's like more acceptable for society to leave, uh, uh, your, your relationship when, uh, you know, he's cheated on you or mm -hmm. if he hits you and, and, and like the gaslighting and, and verbal abuse thing that nobody else sees because it's really behind closed doors is not really taken very seriously. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, you're never happy. You're always sad. It's not sadness. It's you're constantly feeling guilty about something you never did. And you're always treading on eggshells because you might do something wrong and trigger another verbal attack or a blaming spree of some kind, you know? Yeah, it's, you're a hundred percent right. And it's, it wears you out because right, your home is like your safe, sacred place. And when your safe, sacred place doesn't become your safe, sacred place anymore, oh, yeah. and you have nowhere to go, you start to fall apart, right? Every aspect of, of your life starts to fall apart because you're, you're, you have nowhere to go. And, and I hear so many times I'm on so many domestic violence groups on Facebook, just cause I'm super active in, in, 
in domestic violence and, and narcissistic abuse. And, and so many people right now are like, where do I go? And they're just driving around with their kids and they're homeless because they don't know where to go. And shelters are full with COVID, but who wants to go to a shelter after you've been abused? And I mean, it's so, it's so sad and it happens way more than anybody realizes. And it does. Chances are you're tangled in a web with a narcissist right now and you don't even know that you are. Yeah. Friends, yeah. boss, family member. It's and, crazy. And, and the best way to explain it is if you look at a cult, right? And you're and for us on the outside of the cult, we're like, how how are they doing that? Don't they see that this is just so extreme? You know, I um I was getting ready to do a podcast with, you know, the polygamy cults and the Mormon religion where they have multiple wives and their leader, you know, and and really manipulative and and controlling. And I'm like, wow. Well, of course they don't see it. First of all, a lot of them are born into this and that's just their life. And the manipulation from the top up is so good. And then they get everybody in the cult to turn against you if you dare go against the grain of the cult. Well, then you can take that to a little bit of a smaller scale. And a lot of family dynamics are like this. You have a narcissistic parent who runs the show and everybody has to go within the narrative of the, of the family, especially if there's abuse, like a sexual abuse, domestic violence, but even mental and emotional abuse. They, they make you believe the parent makes you believe this facade that we're this happy family and we're really close, mm-hmm. but there's all this abuse going on. And if you dare go against and be the one that speaks up against the family, you, the rest of the family is trained to then scapegoat the person that speaks up and shun them from the cult, yeah. shun them from the family. And that's how quick family dynamics can like, you hear all the time, oh, I don't have a relationship with my family. How does that happen? What do you mean you don't have a relationship? With, well, it's because this, the cult leader says, uh-uh, you're not going to go against the cult. You're out. And and then and then it can go on a much smaller scale where you do it, which is between you and a loved one and in a, in, a, in a romantic relationship. And it's this dynamic between the two of you. But a lot of times in that case, the abuser will bring in third-party abusers, right? And they bring in friends and family and they make your friends and family think that you're crazy and they'll get everybody to fill into their narrative. And and the thing is, they are much better at this than you are. And oh, I yeah. tell people this all the time, like, well, well, you know, now I'm awake to narcissistic abuse and and you can't fight fire with fire. I'm so sorry. I tell people that I coach all the time. I'm like, you can't, you can't win against them. They have done this their whole life. They're masters at it. And we are empathetic souls and and have a conscience and um, and you're not going to win against them. The best way to win is to walk away, shut all of your accounts off. If you have to move, move, change your number, block them and never talk. They don't talk to them ever again and, mm-hmm. and rebuild your life without them because they'll kill you. They will. They will. And I think it's so interesting that it's kind of like that you're using the word cult. It's like a mini cult, which is two people. And it really, that's really what it is because you're just under this kind of spell, like you're hypnotized to, you know, whatever this person says, you know, I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I just, I thought it was about time, you know, I spoke up about this and also turn this negative experience into something positive that can maybe help other people overcome their darkness. Like I was hearing on all these podcasts and I'm like, oh my God, you know, I need to do something. So yeah, I'm starting a a four week campaign um, that, you know, I'm uh, that's kicked off with my new song, uh, Love Syndrome, that is about domestic violence. Um, There's a video as well. I'm going to do fundraisers on my Twitch channel. Uh, There's shareables, I call them. So there's little pictures with slogans on them. Um, 
you know, like maybe stats like one in three women um, is abused by their partner or, you know, stop the abuser, stuff like that, that people can actually go and share on their socials as well, just to to raise awareness uh, to their friends and family, because uh, it's so important to to spread this word, because like you're saying, you don't know that you're in that situation yourself when when yeah when you're in it you don't know you it's only when you're out of that that you realize how bad it was and if one in three women is you know um a, a victim of domestic violence in in any form of of domestic abuse then if you know three women one of them you know is is in this situation and it's not even only about women they're you know the children of that family are also in that house or um, you know, there are women abusers out there as well. So yeah, it's really important that we, that we make everybody aware. Yeah. I, and I, right now there's an awakening happening. Um, it's, it, there's a huge awakening on narcissistic abuse happening. And, and, and just the last two or three years, I, the energy in the universe is changing. And, and for whatever reason, it's like, Hey, let's expose narcissism. And, and maybe that's just because I woke up, but that's from what I get from all the other coaches on YouTube and stuff, we all collaborate. And, and just recently, I would say I was getting around 250 emails a week from people around the world, just wanting to talk to me and get my advice. And it's definitely increased to about six, 600 to a thousand emails a week of people just wow. wanting to tell me their story or wanting to coach with me. And, um, I'm like, wow, people are, and I really think that, um, coronavirus has shined a light on the shadow side of people's relationships or even the shadow side of people's soul. And which is what I believe is the narcissist is our soulmate. And they're here to say, Hey, take a look at this side of yourself so you can rise up as a beautiful, as you would say, warrior that you are. Mm -hmm and live a really empowered, beautiful life. And you don't have to be around abusers and don't have to be abused. And that I really think it's about finding your voice. I have a really strong personality and, you know, I have my day job and manage a lot of people and people are like, I'm shocked when I tell them that I'm a victim of domestic violence, they're shocked because I'm very, I guess, dominant in my, in my life. And I'm very submissive in my romantic life. And, and I realized that I didn't ever have a voice when I'm around people that I really love, I tend to be very submissive and shut down and I let them kind of dominate. And I was like, no, it's about, but it's having a voice that's a healthy, grounded voice and, and knowing what you want that comes from your intuition and saying, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put up with this. And you don't, and loving yourself enough to walk away when yeah. something doesn't work for you anymore. And that is really hard for a lot of people to do. Yeah, for me, it was really, I was just, I was just in love with this guy. So I, I stayed for 11 years. Um, and, and it was only when, when really stuff really started happening that I, you know, that just the love ebbed away that I was finally free to say, okay, I'm leaving now. Bye. <laughs> so I, I really didn't, didn't, you know, realize it when I was in there. I did know somewhere that he wasn't really good for me because I did break it off at one point, um, kind of, you know, like a couple of years in, I did break it off, but we did, we got back together because I was still so in love and I couldn't let him go. And, you know, and I just went back in and, 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 and do you think that that is love or do you think that there's a form of an addiction there that you were hanging on to somewhat of a fantasy that you thought maybe this guy was? I have no idea. I have honestly no, I just, what I remember 
is just feeling so not okay when I was out of that relationship. So in the beginning, I, I was heartbroken. I was, you know, I didn't want to not be with this guy, but I felt that it something was wrong. So I left and then he kept, you know, coming to my parents' house because we, um, I had just started working. I had just finished school and started working. So I was in my early twenties and I, we both still lived at our parents' house. And, um, so yeah, he came there and then, you know, he wanted to talk to me. So we were standing at the door and I'm like, no, I can't go to the door. So I stayed in my room, but obviously you hear him, you know, like pleading with my mom or my dad. And then, and I, you know, at one point, um, yeah, I just, I just went to talk to him and then, um, you know, you end up, you end up, you know, following him because you don't want everybody to hear. So you follow him to his car and then you're alone with him. And then he, you know, takes out his magic wand and he just turns you around his finger and, and says all these things and, oh, and I'm sorry. And, and it's a love bombing, they call it. Yep. The love bombing, you know, ensues. And I was just still so, yeah, I was, I was in love with this guy, you know, I mean, because outwardly, mostly, um, I mean, he was a very nice guy. He was very charming. And, you know, everybody, oh, yeah, and you're so great together and you're a perfect couple. And so I was still in love and I just couldn't let him go, even though I knew that something was wrong. I said, OK, look, if this is the love of my life, then I need to you know, I'm all in, I have to go all in. And, and I also need to make some concessions and put water in my wine. And, and so, you know, he, he's right, you know, I should do that too. And so that's all the manipulation going on. And so I stepped back into this relationship. And then uh, I think a year after that, we, we bought a, an apartment together. Um, so yeah. I was even more trapped. <laughs> yep. That's, and that's when it really begins when you live together. Oh yeah. That's when you really start to see it and they can't they can't keep the facade going, they can't keep the love bombing going and and their true selves really come out and and it's so it's so fascinating. I mean, because you're right, in public people are like, "Oh, you guys are such a great couple and you're so beautiful and he's such a nice guy and oh my gosh, you guys are going to be so happy." And I remember thinking to myself like they have no idea how not, first of all, not a nice guy he is. And second, like we are not a happy couple, no. not even close. And, and, but you play into the facade. I played into the happy couple in public too. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. I, why do we do that? <laughs> well, it's, well, it's and I also think keep it's the a, peace. keep the peace. And also that it's, those are the moments that you are fantasizing about and you want, those are the times oh, where yeah. you're like, Oh, this is great. And then they're really nice to you. And you're like, Oh, they are, he is a really nice guy. And then it feeds into their narrative, right? That, that everybody around them thinks that they're nice. So why wouldn't you think that? And so when they gaslight you, they're like, well, everybody else thinks that I'm great. It's you. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. Oh um, yeah. I was such a problem. <laughs> Everything about me was a problem. Oh, right. And that's that. And it's, it's the opposite. It's they're the problem. Yes. And we all have our problems, right? The problem with us is that we don't love ourselves enough to be like, okay, I'm not putting up with this, regardless of what anybody else says. I'm not putting up with this anymore. I wish I would have been like, you know what? I don't want to be treated like this. I'm out of here. See ya. Yeah. And 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 have enough confidence in what I knew my reality was in this relationship because I question, I'm like, what if he finds somebody else and it's really great with them and they made it work? And it was really focused on that I was the failure. I couldn't fix it. 
And in, I should have just been, I should have just walked away and been like, no, this is the reality of the relationship. It's really terrible. It's really awful behind closed doors. I cry every night. I lay in the fetal position in my closet. I'm throwing up all the time. I'm not sleeping, oh, God. you know, and, uh, and just walked away and been like, I don't want to be, I don't want to, this isn't, this isn't good for me. I don't want to do this anymore. And who cares what happens with him and the next relationship? Cause I can guarantee you it's the same in the next relationship, but that's the number one thing people always come to me They're like, well, he's so in love with the next girl. And I'm like, no, no, he's not. No, it's he's just not. a facade. It's just a fantasy. These guys don't just wake up and women too. Women are narcissists too. They don't just wake up one day and all of a sudden decide they have empathy and they're nice because if they did, this would never happen. If they had empathy, they would never act like this to begin with. So they didn't just all of a sudden wake up and be like, oh yeah, I have empathy now and everything's going to go back. going to be normal for me in the future going forward. No, they have to do years of therapy and work to maybe, maybe figure out that they have a problem, but they're a narcissist and they're never going to go to therapy and figure out that they have a problem. No, they not. didn't figure it out. And it actually gets worse for them as they go. People around them start to realize who they are and want nothing to do with them. And they start to lose everybody in their life. Yeah, it's interesting because for me, I think there was a big part of, you know, not getting out of that relationship for fear of uh, being, you know, it being a failure, like everybody else was saying how perfect we were. And, and, you know, that that had to be true. You had to. Yeah, I, I think I think that was a big fear of, you know, failing, failing at that relationship. Um having it not work and just, you know, I had to, had to make it work. If this is my, you know, the love of my life, I have to, I have to make it work. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's basically what I tried to do. So that's really interesting that you're saying that the, the fear of failure and, um, he, obviously he, he didn't, well, you have, um, narcissistic abusers who do know that they're doing it, but mine didn't. Yes. I mean, he was a nice guy. Sometimes, <laughs> um, I I don't I don't think he realized at all what he was doing. I, I obviously I don't know. I've I've met him again since um since it ended. Um, not in the first couple of years, but um, like in the I don't know. I, this is like eight years ago that th this relationship ended. So I think four years ago maybe I saw him once and then two years ago now with corona obviously it's a long time two years ago I saw him again and it actually feels really nice to see him it, it, he feels like a friend because we were together for so long and you you kind of you know we we obviously met with because of music I used to be a DJ and he was a club DJ too so we we um we met at a club where we were both both working and we you know when we talk now it's we can talk an hour about music and like oh yeah you remember this one and then and then oh and you have to check out this dj and that song that and it's just so wonderful talking about music with him um that you know you kind of you you kind of forget of okay yes you know why you know this is this is actually a nice guy but really no i <laughs> he's really not <laughs> and i don't know if he's i know that he's been in another relationship after me um but it didn't it didn't work out i don't know what he's doing now i obviously don't ask him about his love life <laughs> um uh but yeah for yeah, as far as i know you love them right I like don't. There, there's like my my ex we were really good together like when 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 <laughs> The abuse wasn't happening. 
we really liked being around each other. So I thought, I, I, I'm told that that's not real, but I think you have to go with your own intuition and believe in, in yourself. And that's what this is really all about. But we were fun. We laughed at the same things. Mm-hmm. We had the same interests. We, you know, and when we had fun, we had a lot of fun. Yeah. And, um, and that's what I miss. And, and, I, and that's what I loved about him to begin with. And I really, truly, I mean, they're still human. They're still people. And there is a good side. There's a good side and a bad side to all of us. I just think that, you know, if you go into like the, 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 the cycles that they, they were molded into this too. This came from their parents. It came from our parents, right? I came from, I'm, I'm, I'm a product of my parents' relationship. My dad was a narcissist. My mom was a codependent and is, and all the work that I did throughout my life to not marry someone like my dad, I married my dad 2.0. Right. And it's because it's so subconscious. It's so ingrained. And they've learned that if you're going to get anywhere in life, you need to manipulate and step all over people to get there where the rest of us and, and, and me being the codependent empath, I've learned that I need to let them manipulate and control for me to get where I need to go. And that's why we're the perfect the perfect match. Right. Mm. And it's, it's really ingrained and this comes from generations and it's really about understanding this and breaking the cycle. And, and I, I believe breaking the cycle is what we're doing here today. Let's talk about it. Let's expose it. Let's understand that we're being abused and that we need to make changes, drastic changes for us to not pass this down to our children mm-hmm. and to, and, and to not make them narcissistic and narcissists, right. And to not make them codependents and to be susceptible to abuse. Um, and I really think that that is, is the key, but they are, they are human. They have a good side to them. They just have a really dark side to them too. A really big one. <laughs> yeah. It's exactly. Jekyll and Hyde, right? It's, it's the, you got the Jekyll, yeah. the Jekyll sweet doctor guy. And then this Hyde personality, that's this like monster that murders people. And, uh, and, but it's the same person, you know, and that's, that's what I tell people. I'm like, you don't understand. There's a whole other, there's a dark side to them. And, um, and I, and it's fascinating to me because if you look at personality disorders and you, you take it, you know, one step further from narcissism and you look at sociopaths and psychopaths, I think that is so deep within them that that it's fascinating. You look at a serial killer who gets off on murdering people, right? They're, they're people with personality disorders that their control has to be so intense that they have to actually kill people. Mm -hmm. But then you have, you know, but then they're really nice people when they're not murdering people. And so it's it's (laughs) when they're not murdering people. (laughs) Yeah. But like, you look at like the Ted Bundy, I don't know. I know you live in another country, but Ted Bundy was a huge serial killer here. Oh, we know we're, we're aware. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, but he was a lawyer, yeah. Well educated, well spoken, good looking, blue eyes, had a girlfriend with with a child, and was really charming. Yeah, then- I actually saw the 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 thing on um, was it on Prime or on Netflix? One of one of those. Uh, there's this big Ted Bundy thing, or maybe on both. They're on both. There's a Ted Bundy thing. I saw them both, and it's just it's crazy. Yeah, this is like. But the thing is, it always starts the same way. So it always starts with this kind of. Uh, verbal and mental psychological kind of abuse thing and and um you know they just uh, like promote themselves to to in his case murderer uh <laughs> but yeah it's, it's it, you know it always starts like that i i thought yeah i thought that was very interesting um obviously it's it's in a different setting because he always you know went to find 
victims for that specifically and he didn't do it with his girlfriend um but it's just yeah it's, it just goes to show that he also escalated escalated to something he he wasn't like that at the beginning it just you know it always grows and grows and that's also you know something that people should know is that okay you have physical domestic violence you know physical injuries but before that happens there's there's like years maybe of of verbal and, and mental abuse already going on. So yeah, that's, it's very, yeah, it's, it is. I, um, when I used to volunteer in the ER, I used to see this a lot. A lot of victims would come in that didn't have any physical abuse. That was just mental and emotional. And they would be so distraught that they wanted, um, you know, they wanted help. And so I realized that this was a mental and emotional thing before it becomes physical. And people don't, I, I don't think understand in the domestic violence, it's about power and control. It's not about the abuse itself and that the, the perpetrator needs full on dominance and control at all times and, and having power, they need to feel powerful and they need to have control. Same with rape and sexual assault. It's about power and control. It's not about sex itself. And, um, and I think once people grasp that, and so it's, it's an addiction. So it's just like drinking alcohol, right? You don't start out an alcoholic. You start out by drinking one glass of wine and then all of a sudden it's two. And then all of a sudden you're now drinking four bottles of wine a night and you're a full blown alcoholic because you're feeding the addiction and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It's the same thing with, with them. Like they need more power and they need more control and they have to get more violent, more manipulative, more controlling and what, in whatever way that is. And I think that's how come the physical violence happens, the, the mental and emotional abuse they've escalated or they've, they've used all realms of psychological abuse and they've, they've beaten you down so badly mentally and emotionally that they now have to get physical for them to still get their, narcissistic yeah. supplier they're high and 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 or you're they're losing control right the victim mm. starts to realize they're a victim of narcissistic abuse like me and i would be like hey you're a narcissist watch this video and and nev they never it never worked don't don't do that i actually don't recommend it it makes them very angry um, and then they turn it around and gaslight you make you think that you're the narcissist but he i think he realized i was getting i was i was starting to leave i had threatened to leave i'd gotten a, a divorce attorney and he was starting to lose control so what do you have to do you got to physically beat me down to keep me where you want me you oh got to have and for them to get their high and to be powerful right and i think about that all the time like do you feel good about yourself now like now that you're in trouble and you got arrested does that make you feel good that you beat your wife does it are you exactly. proud of yourself? Right. And anybody that, that questions these people or their narrative, like I have so many people that still believe him. I'm like, really? Does like, that's shocking to me. It's just not okay. I don't care how nice of a guy is. It's not okay to touch. It's not okay to touch anybody, let alone almost strangle them to death. But, yeah. but, did, but did, do you feel good now? Did that make you feel better? Right. Do you feel that small in your life that you feel better now that you have to strangle somebody to make yourself feel good? And in Ted Bundy's case, you feel better that you murdered somebody like, but you can't rationalize with them like that. No, no, you can't because they do get a high of it. And I think it's interesting what you're saying, because addiction, what's the difference between lo a love for something or someone or an addiction? Isn't that, you know, like the definition of those two words are so closely related that I, I think it is an addiction. It's an addiction. What, you know what? I think that they're not in love with you. Obviously, they're incapable of love. They are just addicted to the power that they have over you. Um, if you know, if I'm, if I'm expressing I, myself correctly, I, th I think that's really it. You know, they they push you to 
to see where your boundaries lie. And then they see that you're about to break. So they reel in and they start love bombing. And then the next time, you know, that way they have you back. And then the next time, okay, that was the, that was the, 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 the frontier last time. Let's go a little bit further, further this time, you know, and let's just see if we can stretch that elastic band every time, you know, until something snaps and it's not him or, you know, the abuser that's going to snap. It's, it's the victim that's going to snap. So that, you know, that, that's, that's basically, yeah, that, that's a good analogy actually with the, with, yeah, with and the, I um, think, I think the victim is, has an addiction too. We're addicted to the love bombing phase. So if you look at the domestic oh, violence yeah. wheel, it's the honeymoon devalue abuse, right? And see with narcissists, it's idealization, devalue, abuse, discard and repeat. And so I think that we're addicted to the love bombing phase and we get very stuck in the love bombing. So we actually get a high, right? When we meet these people, I'm like, oh, I'm so in love. It was love at first oh, sight. Yeah. <laughs> and is it really love or do, are they, are you being idealized? Right? Are they mirroring your insecurities where you have really bad insecurities within yourself, which we all do? And they make those insecurities feel really good, but then they turn around and abuse those same insecurities. Yeah. And then they'll give, and then they'll go back and be like, oh, no, 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 you're so great. I didn't mean to say that. You are really great. You're doing such a good job at work. And I love you so much. You would, you know, you're the best thing that ever happened to me. And, and then all of a sudden they beat you that night. And so uh, I think. I was definitely, and, and then to the point where you're begging them to stay, even after they abuse you. Yes, and I have seen why? Oh my time God. and time because we're addicted to the love bombing. And we <sighs> think that we're not good enough to have love and that they're the only ones that quote unquote love us when we don't realize it's not love, it's idealization. Yeah. Um, I've seen this so many times in the ER. I had a girl, um, I had a girl that was stabbed 32 times Oh my God. and she was crying and she's like, don't let him leave me. I don't want him to divorce me. It's all my fault. And I love him and he loves me. And I, and I remember, I remember looking her straight in the eyes. I'm like, he almost hit your heart. Like, like you're oh my been here three times this, this week, you're going to die. And she's like, I know, but he loves me so much. And she was so in it. She and and it's luckily I I convinced her to let me admit her into the hospital and and she let me call her parents and get her parents involved because they ha they didn't know and when I called them they were devastated that her domestic violence had gotten to this point and they didn't even know about it. Wow. Um. And hopefully I don't know what happened to her because we don't know after we leave the ER they leave us out of it. But um, I thought and I remember walking away at the time not understanding this like. Why, why is she crying about leaving him? She needs, she needs to leave his ass. Like I was like all yeah. angry. Right. And now that I've been in it, I begged for him to come back every time the abuse cycle went around, whether it was mental and emotional or physical until finally the last time, you know, it took law, the law enforcement to intervene between the two of us. And she was like, you're going to die. He's going to get arrested and that's it. And, 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 and it took me a long time to finally understand that I was like under their spell and addicted to this. I, I even think I was addicted to the highs and lows of this. I was addicted to the craziness of this relationship. And my life got really boring afterwards. And I was like, wow, it's really sad and boring and, and calm. But now I'm good with the calm. But it took me a long time to get there, right? And now I realize my next relationship is probably going to be really calm and easy. And love is really kind and sweet and gentle and nurturing and respectful. But for me, that is a very foreign concept. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. I mean, it's such a, there's so, it's such an up and down thing. It's like a roller coaster, you know, and then you're, you, you, you pick up all these clothes and you throw them outside and you're like, no, you have to leave. 
and then he's like standing there and then you beg him to come back in and then it it I I totally recognize all of this and it's crazy because you 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 just don't think that you you know I'm not a drama drama person but with him I was just you know it was like this big theatrical thing like whoa and you know and fighting and screaming and you know, it's it's awful and with my current partner um you know we we might have we've been together for i don't know seven years now or something and we might have had a fight with raised voices three times maybe um it's just so much easier and so much mature or so much more mature and and calm yes calm um and that's that's what a real healthy relationship looks like right yes. we're human we're going to have conflict we're going to argue that's just part of it right of course but it doesn't need to be this you're right it is so theatrical i look back now and i kind of laugh sometimes at, at things that we used to argue about and how oh dramatic God. it got oh my gosh yeah. the drama and i and i'm like wow that was so ridiculous um, it, is. it is. And that a lot of couples that I've talked to that have both been abused or one's been abused, they're like, yeah, our life is calm now and we don't really argue and we're able to kind of problem solve when an issue comes up. We're able to sit down and have a conversation about it and maybe we'll argue about it. But we we work out the argument and there's closure within the hour, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We either agree to disagree. We've talked about agreeing to disagree or we agree on on what we're going to do. And, and and one of us, you know, makes an adjustment or the other makes an adjustment. And it's a compromise between the two of us and we move on and everything's fine. And then yeah. we also understand that we're human and we have arguments. Yeah. Um, yeah. It used to be such a surge of hate that like grow, grow, comes up from your stomach go inside and like bursts out of your lungs and like, oh my God, and, you know, such evil and, and venom from both of us, you know? Yes, and, yes. and that's just that, yeah, that's the, the, until where can I push her until she really means it that she says she's going to leave. And then I reel her back in and then, yep. and it keeps going like that. And your life is such a, oh my God, it's so, it's, it's very tiring. It's very, very tiring. And you, you, yeah, you, you really start to feel it physically as well after a while. Yeah. And it wears you out. It does. Uh, it, I started to look pale and skinny and I wasn't sleeping and I was crying all the time. I was drinking a lot. I was miserable, miserable. And everyone's like, oh, you, and then he'd be like, well, she's the problem. Look, she's the one falling yeah. apart. Oh my God. Yeah. I was going crazy. He <sighs> made me crazy. He was making me crazy. I, it was bad. And that's what no one realizes is, you know, when I used to go to my family and they'd be like, oh, he's a nice guy and relationships are hard and marriage is hard. And no one realized that if you just took me out of the relationship, I would have been fine. It was mm -hmm. the relationship was killing me. Yeah. And, um, and it was making me do all of these other things, which is compulsions on top of compulsions on, you know, and there's just all this psychology behind it. Um, and that it was him. It was, he was the problem. And once he's been out of my life, you know, it's, but it, it took me a while to calm down. I feel like that I created dramatic moments still to still yeah. be on the roller coaster because it's an addiction. And how do you now, you have to come off of this addiction. And it took me a long time to finally be like, okay, wow, it, I was really traumatized. And, and, and I stayed in that trauma mode for quite some time. And it was really confusing and disorienting and, um, and that when I finally went into the calm, I was like, wow, this is really boring. Life is really boring now. <laughs> but I, actually, I love it. 
Yeah, yeah, it's so great. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's there's so much love, and it's just, yeah, it's just it's just normal now. <laughs> it it feels great. Um, I, you made me think of a thing that happened when it was over. I went back home, um, uh, and and I well, I called my mom and I said, you know, I'm I'm leaving him. And I'm seriously leaving him this time because I left him once already, you know, years before, um, but didn't didn't make it out. So and and I said I'm leaving him, and she said, "Oh, really? Are you serious?" I'm finally. What? Sorry, why are you saying this? So apparently, my 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 parents were also, you know, having doubts like for a long time about this relationship and not specifically about, you know, they didn't specifically know that this kind of abuse was going on, but just in general, there were other things that he did um, that they kind of didn't like and thought, you know, this is a bit weird or, or, or whatever. Obviously, when I would go to my mom uh, alone, I would say, yeah, and he did this and he did that. And, you know, I would like vent a lot and tell her about all the things. So I don't know if it was really that. Um, but also, I don't know if you know about Belgium. So in Belgium, we have two, um, two parts of the country. So we have a, a Dutch part and a French part. And uh, so there's a lot of uh, cultural differences between the two because the Dutch part is more Germanic and the French part is more, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a Roman language. So they're, they're more kind of, yeah, with Italy and Spain and stuff like that. So it's, it's very, a, a different way of being, um, and expressing yourself. And that also was a big problem with us because he was from the Walloon part of Belgium and I was from the Dutch part of Belgium. So already there were cultural differences there that also caused conflict. And obviously he would use that and always, you know, blame me for being the, the assertive Germanic person. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, not, you know, beating around the bush enough for stuff like that. Um, and, and that, that was also uh, one of the big problems. And I think that my, for my parents, it was more in that category, not that I, they didn't want you know, it's not like a racist thing, not like, oh, we don't want her to be with, uh, you know, a French speaking guy. It wasn't like that. It was more just the disrespect that um, that my ex had for them because he would like only speak French while he actually did speak Dutch. And it's just, uh, uh, you know, uh, respectful to speak to people in their own language uh, when you're in that part of the country. I spoke French to his parents. Um you know, what that's totally normal. That's so manipulative. Just that alone, only speaking French to your parents. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so like, he, he would insist on, you know, no, I'm not going to speak Dutch because, you know, I, I, I'm not good at it or anything. While until his until he was six or seven, he had actually lived in in the Flanders. So that's the Dutch part and uh, gone to a, a, a Flemish speaking school. And he he was well, you know, he, in his formative years, he had been taught to read and write in Flemish. It's only after that that they moved to the French part and that he started speaking French. So he was he was really good. He was really good at at the language. It was just like uh yeah, he just didn't want to do it. So I think it's more that part that my parents really latched onto and said, "Okay, look, you know, there there's just stuff that he does that's very disrespectful." Um and 
uh, yeah, well, not only about the language, but, you know, just in general, these things. And they probably kind of had an inkling. Obviously, I knew and I had bro- broken it off and I had gone back to my parents and said, you know, he's not good for me. And oh, I'm crying and, and I need to get out of this, but I still love him. And, you know, that whole episode. And then when I went back in and then stayed with him for another couple of years, I think they were just very relieved that I I had finally ended it. Uh, but I was a bit, I was very hurt when my mom said, oh, finally, you know, I mean, wh- where were you? Why didn't you come to me actively and talk about it and tell me your maybe suspicions or or fears or constatations? Constatations? No. C- c- the how do you say that? Consequences? C- you know, things yeah. that you've seen happen maybe to, to make me realize it earlier. Why didn't you do something you know that was that was what was in my head I, I never really talked to her about it but that's the first reaction I had in my head was like oh now you tell me you know so yeah. that was a bit weird <laughs> it um it it's just it's it's fascinating my friends said the same thing but they knew that I was in an abusive relationship and I went back many times I tried to leave many many times and so I think they got tired of me being like, oh, I'm going to leave. And, and then I didn't, yeah. you know, um, but they supported me. But my family was totally opposite. They loved him. And, and I would be crying and be like, he's so abusive. And they're like, Megan, you need to stick with it. You never know if you're going to meet anybody better, you know, but oh I also God. come from a very narcissist family, right? I have a very narcissistic father who had an affair and my mom is very codependent and we don't talk about bad things. We, we, we sweep it under the rug and we keep it in the cult. And, um, and it's very cult. Like there's a lot of drama and toxicity within the family. So it, they don't see it though. They don't see that this is a problem. They still don't see that, that this is a problem and that his behavior is unacceptable period. End of story. And that, that, you know, how could they, my mom doesn't empower herself to, to, um, have any thoughts of her own. She's very manipulated by manipulated by the, the, the cult dynamic. Right. And so they just don't see it. And it took me a very long time. I think that was the hardest part for me was not just leaving the relationship, but seeing that I came from this environment and that they're not going to see it until they have a moment that is so dramatic in their life for them to say, wait, what is narcissism? I'm going to go Google it and watch YouTube videos or listen to podcasts. And then all of a sudden realize that they are in an abuse dynamic. They don't realize that they're being abused and manipulated to them. That's just their normal. And so when I tried to tell them, Hey, we're being abused, that would mean that they have to have some form of self-reflection and then maybe realize that this is a much bigger issue and, and they can't. And that was really the biggest frustration for me was that they don't see it. They don't believe it. They don't want to see it. They don't try and that they continue to make it my problem. And like, nope, that's your problem. You're the problem. You know, it's all you when that makes no sense whatsoever. Like it, no. right? Like it doesn't, when I, when I finally asked them, like, what is it that I've done? That's so terrible. They can't answer the question. It's because no. there's nothing, there's nothing. They don't get that. It's the problem is the much bigger abuse. Right. And so it's shocking, but I did have friends that, that were very excited when I finally left and actually pulled the plug and, and left the relationship because they knew that I was in a really serious situation and had seen it and watched it kind of fall apart as times. But, but my ex did something similar. I mean, we didn't have two different 
cultures or languages, but I had a miscarriage at the beginning of our relationship. And that was an excuse for a very long time that, oh, it was really traumatic for you guys. And we need to be easy. The, the miscarriage was really hard. And it was, a I used it as an excuse and, and everybody around me used it as an excuse for a long time until finally my friend was like, no, he's just a jerk. It has nothing to do with a miscarriage or whatever, but they find something to manipulate you with that is kind of a vulnerable spot for you. Yeah. Right. And so for you, it was, you know, that you, it's a different culture and that you're the problem because of your culture and the language that you speak. And, and so they'll use that as a vulnerability for you and abuse you that way. And it's, it's, it's so classic. They all abuse the same way. Yeah. And even, I mean, talking about friends. So I, I kind of, I didn't stay in touch with my friends because obviously they were like 60 kilometers away. That's like, I don't know, 45 miles or something. I think mm -hmm. 40 miles. It's not like the world, but it is a 45 minute drive and you just don't do that every day. You have your work, you have your stuff, you have your house, uh, you know, that you have to, uh, your household, you know, make dinner, whatever. So you don't drive around that that long all the time and every time I went to my friends because I, I I used to um when, when I was a teen I was in a band and um even when I started DJing I I kind of you know still went to rehearse it was a thing in the garage and just went to jam with the guys and you know and obviously you know this band was all guys so I was the singer um and they're my longtime friends you know and so um I, I used to still go like every second Thursday or whatever. I used to go there and, and sing and, and that just, it just stopped at one point because every time I went, he, he would be jealous, you know, of what happened and, you know, were you flirting with somebody and, and all this jealousy came up every time. And then in the end, you stop going. So you stop seeing your friends, you know, friends don't do, do the whole drive and come to you either. Um, so you're just, you know, far away and, and, you stop seeing any anybody um uh, i didn't see my parents very much either um i had a, a horse at the time so uh who was um uh, actually at the stable that my friend owned but obviously you don't want to have to drive uh m you know two hours every day to get to your horse and back so the horse in the meantime moved closer to where i was so i didn't go any you know get out get out of of the the town or the the place that I was very far either to to take care of my horse so I was really everything was concentrated there and his family was there so his family was like literally one street away they lived from us or like two 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 three blocks or whatever just yeah very close by and it was all him it was all him and his family and and all my friends and all my stuff just was left behind basically and when I remember when I when we were at his friends and we had like a party or whatever you know just you know a barbecue or just hang out with friends at their place it used to always I I hated it they used to always start to because I was Flemish and was the only Flemish person there they used to always start to talk politics so oh yeah the Flemish this and the Flemish that and you know and uh, and then always it was always about politics I'm like okay you guys you know I really don't want to talk about this you know we have a lot of things in common we're all Belgian in the end so can we not just you know drink and have fun and barbecue you know do we always have to talk about these political issues that have been in our country for 150 years you know and we're not going to solve it so can we just 
not do that. And it was always the same. And I used to ask him, I used to tell him, if we go to your friend's place again, can we please not talk about that subject? Can you help me to avoid that subject? And, you know, he would never, he would never help me. He would never, he would just like jump into the conversation on their side and just, you know, beat me, beat me down. Cause I'm, I was the only one there to defend, you know, it was like, I had to defend the Flemish and they were the Walloons and they were defending, you know, it was, it was always like a war. It was really weird. It's it really is. weird. They're very good at isolation. And yes, everything is a war with them. Everything. Yeah. So I know that you're into music. So it's something that you've been into your whole life. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I uh, started singing um, when I was about five or six. I started really having my own uh, musical taste and uh, started uh, singing along with my idols and, and really taught myself how to how to sing. Um, and so I was in my teens. I was in 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 this band <laughs> and we did um, we did stuff, you know, like um uh, they call it block parties in the states, I think. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we we had like in the town there was like this this fair or whatever, and they would have um a stage, and we would be booked to to do something on the stage. So it was just like covers and stuff that we did, and then um yeah, I started uh I I went to be a DJ when I was sixteen. I I uh, saw well, I had a friend actually who was DJing, and he also had uh like his his um record players and stuff and his mixer at at home and uh we would hang out there like on a sunday you know and um he i actually had a phone call so he was he was on this phone call and the record was nearly over so somebody said oh you know the record's nearly over somebody has to put on m new music and so nobody moved so i thought well might as well do it so and this was with actual actual records so records, yeah. yeah vinyl and so okay let's choose one okay I, I chose one and then I started kind of mixing it in and this was like a total coincidence but the the beat fell on the beat I, I'm <laughs> sure it was like a total a total coincidence I really did not do that myself and it wasn't like um y you know how music has four beats um, and, and, you know, it's four, four on four. And yeah. it was not beat one that it was on beat one. It was something one and three or one and four or something of these different songs. But the beat was on the beat anyway. And I thought, Oh my God, I need to do this. <laughs> and I fell in love with that. And I just, I, all my money went into that. So I had this summer job and I just, uh, you know, kept all my money and I, 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 um, I got myself, uh, the techniques and the mixer and I started buying, uh, records and, you know, all the, the, anybody who, you know, when my parents asked me what I wanted for Christmas or my birthday, I was like, Oh yeah, just money to put in the pot for that, you know? So Have I fun. got my own stuff and I actually, uh, a year into, uh, playing, or near, not even a year, maybe six months. I got this, uh, I got a residency at a very well known club where I had been going out and I, I got a res residency there. So that mean, meant that I was playing there every Friday and every Saturday. So I was really, really happy about that. And I did that for a couple of years, actually. And I really learned, I really 
learned how to refine my technique there because I was only playing really at the start. So when the club opens, when there's like no one there. <laughs> so I started at 10 and I, I had done by 12 when the party was kind of starting and then the, the headliner DJ would come up and then, you know, and then he would play for two hours or so. And, um, but yeah, I really learned a lot and I, I went from there. Uh, and actually, yeah, I played at a couple of really big festivals for that specific type of music. Um, and was, was, was actually quite, well known in that which is which is crazy i i even played in new york actually wow at a place called downtime which was in uh -huh. the village yep yeah i played there wow that's, <laughs> that's fascinating crazy. how funny i lived in new york yeah for 15 years so i um that's that's so exciting i um I actually have a classical voice degree, so I'm into music as well. Ooh. Yeah, I just nobody knows that about me because I don't sing anymore, but um, I should. I but it's like a little hidden secret when people find out. They're like, "Wow!" I'm like, I moved to New York to study classical voice. But and so wow. what I love about you though is your music, and I was looking at it, it's all about mm -hmm. empowerment and being kind of a warrior. And and what made you kind of go into that or, or want to empower people to be warriors in their life? Well, music has always been my therapy, and that's also the reason why I want to make a, a more, you know, broader kind of music. So I, I make alternative pop, um, and 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 give back to my community so that others can hear my songs and have their own moment of clarity and realizations and their own strength that comes from that. Um, so um, yeah, for people who who have seen pictures of me, I usually also wear war paint on my face on. on on the outside to just to show them to, um, you know, bring out their inner warrior, that that's okay, that they don't have to fear that, um, to, to show their true selves and, and to, you know, fight, fight for their right to be themselves. Basically. Um, it's kind of, um, you know, you, they, they always say, Oh, you have to be yourself and you know, this and that. And if, if people don't accept you, just, just leave them behind. And, but I don't think that that works that way. I, because people, are humans are a social being they need va social validation from the people around them and that's very important to our well-being so the same thing about this domestic violence thing you know this this comes back there that you you want validation from the people that you love or your friends etc and it's not enough to just say oh this is me and all the rest can can you know leave it's it's important to first of all, understand who you really are and accept yourself. And then you have to fight for other people to, to accept you too. You know, you, you, for example, if you're gay and you want to come out, that's, that's like the classic, the classic example of that. You, you, you have to, first of all, accept that you are that inside you. And then you have to go and tell everybody because you want them to accept you for who you are and that's the whole fear of oh no they're not going to accept me but that's that fight that you have to have of look you know this is who I am and I need to be able to be myself outwardly too and not only hide inside I need to bring out my inner warrior and I need to go now and come out and do this thing and I think that it's not only for situations like that I think that everybody has that kind of moment um uh, you know, that they, they need to bring out their inner warrior and say, okay, come on, I really need to do this. You know, maybe people are shy. Uh, maybe people aren't uh, as assertive as others. Uh, maybe people are in an abusive relationship <laughs> yep. and need to find that strength. And that's so basically, you know, when you need that boost, you can listen to a song and be empowered by it and have more self-confidence. And that's really what my mission is all about to, 
be able to touch people with my art to to help them because music has helped me over so many things, so many things. Yeah. Yeah, me too. How can people come find you? And I'll also post everything below, but what, um, where can people come find your music? Oh, I'm on all the uh, music platforms. So Spotify, Apple, Google Play, or whatever is out there now. Um, I'm on all of those. So you can just search for me, Dana Rex. I'm on all the socials as well, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, and YouTube. Uh, so my uh, website is danarex.com. It's D-A-N-A-R-E-X-X.com. And so they can go and find me there. Obviously, for the duration of my campaign, I will have resources in my bio that people can click on. Um, I will have um, helplines for 46 countries in Europe that people can call from their own country. I will have helplines for the US. Uh, if anybody has other helplines, please send them through so I can add them. Um, I will have shareables. So that's little pictures with slogans on them that people can share on their socials as well, just to make others aware of this campaign and, and direct them also to those resources. Um, there's, uh, the song Love Syndrome that people can listen to and also watch the video, um, that I made myself, um, that really kind of reenacts the, the, um, psychological prison that you're in when you're under abuse um so yeah that's that's all of the stuff i will be doing fundraisers on my twitch channel uh as well and it's going to be exciting yeah i think that's amazing well thank you so much for coming on and being a guest this was great and i think you're fascinating and i hope you come back and join us again oh thank you so much it was my pleasure thank you you're welcome dana thank you so much for joining us in the garden today if you would like to find Dana, you can find her at DanaRex.com and check out her music and her campaign about domestic violence and abuse. You can also use the hashtags StopTheAbuse and hashtag DanaRexLoveSyndrome. And you can check all of the links below to connect with Dana. For those of you new to my podcast, you can come find me on YouTube at The Divine Self or on my website at divine-self.com. I have lots of resources, books, videos, everything you need to learn about narcissistic abuse and domestic violence. You can also come find me on Facebook at The Divine Self and on YouTube at The Divine Self. I have a very special guest joining me next week from YouTube, Little Shaman. For those of you who have probably found me on YouTube, you know who Little Shaman is. She's phenomenal, very wise on the topic of narcissistic abuse, and I cannot wait for you to uh, hear what Little Shaman has to say. Until next time, have a good evening.